Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. Lee is a British guy who was living in England. He had no family and was on the verge of taking his own life when he was made an offer that he decided to take up. That offer took him to hell. Lee shares his story. Well, I was offered to go to Thailand to pick up a suitcase and um, to take it to South America. And they were going to pay me uh, $25,000 to do it. Kidding. What was in the suitcase? Heroin. How much? Five kilos. They, they told me it was one kilo. It wasn't. Wow. And so you went and you attempted it? Yeah, I mean, I knew there were drugs inside the case and I knew that if they caught me that I'd get shot. You didn't care? No. Basically, I, I, I mean, basically, I, I felt like killing myself and didn't really have the guts to do it and I just thought, well, you know, if it, if it doesn't work, then I'll get shot so, you know, somebody else can pull the trigger for me. I didn't really expect to get away with it because you don't really hear as many people getting away with it, but... I mean, most, most of the people in the prison that have been caught for the same thing in Thailand, you know, there's, there's, there's a common theme uh, with all of us. And it's usually, you know, people get approached at a low point in their life. And, uh, you know, most of us have, have, have had some kind of lucky that people have gone through a divorce or, you know, somebody has died in their family or they just had nowhere and nothing, nowhere to go and wow. no, lost no sense of purpose or direction, really. And in the absence of that, made the wrong choice, you know. So you took up the challenge and you flew to Thailand? Um, I wouldn't say a challenge. I didn't really see it as a challenge. I just saw it as a path that was presented to me. And in the absence of anything better to do, I made a stupid decision and agreed to do it. Can you recall the events in the airport as you were trying to get it through? Yeah, I mean, I, um, basically they were waiting for me. I, I obviously didn't know that. And, uh, yeah, I went to check in. And um, by the time I turned around, um, I'd been given my passport back. And by the time I turned around, I had about 10 um, soldiers standing there pointing guns at me, telling me to stand still and drop the case. They were waiting for you. How How was that? Yeah. They said they'd been informed that they'd been kicked off. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was doomed from, in, from its inception, really. So tell us what happened then. Um, I was uh, taken to the police station. Everything was taken off of me. And I was told to sign um, a, a whole stack of um, blank paper saying that that was my statement and that they would write, that they would write, my, that they would write my confession onto the blank paper afterwards. And then what happened in the court case? Um, in the court case, they sentenced me to um, death. But that didn't happen? No, it didn't. Apparently the last, the last person to be executed, a foreigner in Thailand, I, mean, I didn't know this at the time, was actually an Australian. I think it was back in 1985. And um, they didn't, because of um, international um, contention and stuff, they, they didn't. They didn't execute people anymore, but they did imprison you for the rest of your life. And so you were sentenced to. I was sentenced to death, and I had. An, and if you get sentenced to death, you get an automatic appeal, um, which takes about a year. And then when I went back on the appeal, um, they commuted it to life, which was a hundred years. So a death sentence is the equivalent of two hundred years, and life sentence is a hundred years. Right. So, in effect, you were sentenced to two hundred years. Yeah. 
So tell us about uh, the memories you have when you first went to prison. Um, yeah, so basically I never had any mother or father or brothers or sisters. I was completely on my own. I was Everything I had um, was taken off of me. Um, I had my uh, hair shaved off, my eyebrows shaved off, um, I was, and a five kilos a, a pair of chains hammered to my ankles. And basically I, I was... Uh, I don't, I was going to spend the rest of my life in Ben Quain Prison. Tell us the people that you were sharing the cell with. Um, yeah, there's like 10,000 prisoners in there, um, mostly for drug cases, uh, from all nationalities, really, from everywhere in the world that you can think of. Uh, you're all putting... There's 10,000 people in the prison. There's 1,000 people in each building, there's 10 buildings. There's about 80 people... 40 to 80 people in each room. There's one hole in the floor for a toilet. There's people in the cell with cholera, malaria, typhoid, AIDS, all sorts of diseases. Yet you get um, fed rice with maggots in it and um, just awful food. And if you need, and if you want to buy, you can buy food in there. But if you, you know, if you want to buy food, you need to have money sent into the prison right. through the embassy, and then you can purchase goods inside the prison, like things if um, beans and eggs and, you know, tomatoes, onions, fresh food, that kind of thing. It's bought um, for an inflated rate. It's double the price um, that it is outside in Thailand, basically. Otherwise, what did they give you? Yeah, otherwise you had to eat the prison food, which was brown rice, which had stones and maggots and all sorts of things in it. And um, Yeah, it's like something out of a really bad movie, but you actually live in it yourself. So, uh, yeah, obviously, like, every day you wake up, you know, there's no hope. There's no, like, thinking, yeah, oh, well, maybe I'll get out in 10 years or 15 years or whatever, you know. Everybody just goes in there, you know. The only way you get out there is if you get a king's pardon or you die. Wow. So what did you do then? Well, in prison, um, I used to teach English to try and get a bit of money. Um, at, at an organisation called um, Prisoners Abroad. Um, used to spend thirty pounds in, which is basically a pound a day to live on, but that's enough to buy you a bag of rice and um, some basic amenities like coffee, sugar, things like that. You know, things of tuna, eggs, and we also had people that used to come and um, visit as well because um, tourists can come and visit you. They can just walk up to the prison and ask to see somebody, and they've got a book, and they can just pick somebody out of the book. You get foreign tourists um, coming to see um, people. Um, through word of mouth, basically, and you know, people just say, "Yeah, go to the prison and you can help those guys." And sometimes, you know, you get English people or Australian people or you know, people from wherever would just come up to the prison when they're on holiday in Thailand and just come in and see somebody and you know, have a chat with you and maybe buy you, you know, some cigarettes or some tuna or tobacco or you know, so you can buy to, like tobacco and stuff or stamps and things like that for food. So, yeah, basically, you're, you're completely reliant on kind of charity and, and, you know, being helped. Wow. I was reading your story. You said you got such despair that you requested to go to uh, solitary confinement. Well, what what happened was that I got, um, I got ill. I caught TB there. Oh, right. Yeah, so after, after five years of, had, of being there, I, I've caught TB. And um, from being in close proximity in the cell, so they sent me to the hospital, and I spent six months in the Thai hospital there. So in the Thai hospital, it's just two levels, two floors, 
And uh, on the top floor, they've got people that, like, if you've got any, you know, you break your arm or your leg or, you know, you've been stabbed or something like that. And, and on the bottom floor, it's all contagious diseases. So it, anything that's contagious, whether it's, uh, you know, cholera, malaria, typhoid, AIDS, TB, you all just stuck with each other downstairs. Still in the chains and everything. The chains never come off. The chains were still on. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. From the day you go there until the day you leave, the chains stay on. So what's it like getting around with those chains? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's difficult. Like You guys to squeeze your shorts and stuff through the chains to get dressed and stuff. Um, you have to shower with them constantly, and obviously you have to dry them really well, otherwise they go rusty. Um, yeah, and you've got to carry them around. They basically become a part of you. So where are they exactly? Uh, they're around your ankles. They're like shackles. You've got two kind of bracelet bits on your ankles, and then you've got a, a five-kilo set of chains in between. Right. And you just have to put like a shoelace or something through in the middle just to pick them up and hold them while you're walking. You're kidding. That's part one of Lee's story. How is it that he walks free today? It's an extraordinary answer to his cry to Jesus for help. He shares it in part two of his story, which is next week, or you can email us for the podcast. Just ask for Lee's story, parts one and two. To email us, go to our website, salvos.org.au forward slash radio. Light and life. The Salvos Weekly Radio Show.